You're listening to the Small Talk Podcast, covering local business and community in the city of Des Plaines. Welcome to Small Talk, connecting business and community, brought to you by the Displains Chamber of Commerce and Industry and Ian Ryan Interactive. And I'm your host, Andrea Bewer, the Executive Director of the Displains Chamber, along with my sidekick, Laird Crawford, with Ian Ryan Interactive. This episode, I'm sitting down with Dan Cable, financial advisor and owner of Purpose Financial Planning. And today we are discussing five things people are asking about their finances today. Uh, A little background on Dan. Dan has been a wonderful Displains Chamber member through the years and has been in the financial industry for over 30 years. Dan, 30 years is a long time. It is a long time. Believe it or not, I started right out of high school, something that today you probably can't do. But I've done a number of things. But most recently, I started my company after being the chief investment strategist for a larger RIA firm. My firm is a registered investment advisory as well. So it's been a great adventure. As my dad told me once, many, many years ago, he says, you're good with people and money. So that was my start. Well, you are. And 30 years is a long time in the financial world, and I bet you've seen it all. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in the industry? Sure. Currently a certified financial planner, and I've also recently broadened and deepened my knowledge just simply because I think in today's world, you need to stay on top of a lot of things. But I've owned a mortgage brokerage company. I've certainly managed assets and I've done financial planning for quite a while. But I think in the future here, what we're going to really have to focus on is a couple of the topics today. You know, what do you do with your money today moving forward? But yeah, I've done a number of things. And you've seen it all. And I know five things people are asking. I bet they're asking a million things, but I have a lot of questions and I could probably narrow it down to five, hopefully. So I have kids that are going to be going to college. Again, for my children, it's about eight years away. Maybe it's less than that. That's crazy. So what is the best way that parents that are just having kids or what do you recommend how they fund college? Because the prices are crazy right now. Absolutely. It's a great question. And I'll start with a couple of options that are very popular. And I think for good reason, they really do offer quite a bit of solution to what can be down the road. But I'm going to do it in a way in which I also talk about the long range solution. And that is having a strategy. A lot of people only focus on the funding, but if you don't have a strategy down there later, thinking about that future, you can really miss the boat. But I'll start with the solutions. And the most popular, of course, is a 529 plan. It allows you to, of course, defer any gains as you put the money in there, so the money grows without having to worry about taxes, as long as you use those funds for education purposes. And there's some other... Can you use that for trade? Like, let's say, you know, again, we all have aspirations for our kids to go to a four-year school. What if they don't and they go to a trade school or that? Could those funds be used for something Yeah, trade school, yes. There are, uh, again, limitations. Mm -hmm. It's mainly geared for the accredited colleges, but there are internship programs and things along those lines that they can be eligible for, too. But it is important to understand, and this is why I usually recommend this along with, say, a Roth IRA 
IRA. Now, the Roth IRA is, of course, you're limited as to the amount that you can put in. You know, it's a lot less than the 529, but it gives you that flexibility that if you don't use it for education, you can use it for retirement and other things. Hmm. So the 529 can do a lot, but it can't do everything. And that's kind of the the story of the financial services person's life, and that is there's always trade-offs. And so one of the reasons I like to compare the two is because even though they're both great accumulators of funds, when it comes to getting a strategy, you need to be thinking about things like financial aid somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. Eight years down the road, of course, you're probably not thinking too much about that. But to understand how the 529 affects financial aid is different than the way the Roth IRA affects financial aid. So kind of incorporating at least two things if you can do it is kind of a great thing. Okay, so you're mentioning the two programs. Let's say somebody has eight years till their son or daughter's going to college. Unfortunately for mine, I have five, and they have $100 a month. Like, how would you recommend them splitting the amount up? Obviously, having more funds would be very advantageous, but let's start small. Absolutely. And some of this is, again, incorporating a strategy. And the reason that I state that is, is that what is probably going to have to happen, especially if there are five kids involved, but any number of kids really is talking with that student as you get closer and closer to that period of time of college. Because one thing that you don't want to have happen is is that the student has high expectations. They're going to go off to an expensive school like their friends are. But the fact of the matter is, is you need to be kind of open communication. And the other part is, is to think this through is, is there's the oxygen mask principle. First, the parents need to make sure that they're taken care of, right? right? They could afford their bills and they have their retirement set, so it's not the kids. It's so important to have a long-term plan to where you're factoring in Mm -hmm. things. Not that you can figure everything that's going to happen, but the more things you put into place, the more you understand, again, those trade-offs as you go. But yeah, absolutely, if you're able to just split that investment as you get started, that's a great way to start. Just understand that down the road, it may make sense to tweak that and to change that over time. Depending on the time period. So, you know, as you mentioned, retirement, we could move it to that. So as people get to be my age and they have aging parents, I know my father passed away about five years ago and I Mm. inherited not a lot, but some funds to them. What is your recommendation because you know many of my friends are in that same situation what do you recommend if we unfortunately get that those funds what do we do with it absolutely one of the things to understand is there's different rules of course first of all if the funds come through a retirement account you have different rules in which you can and you got yeah, it you, yeah. you have to be careful and to be able to, to do that penalties, I know <laughs> yeah it's part of the planning process right and to incorporate that so that you can be tax efficient as well if you the ability that you can you know the other part is is with as with all investments right what is your time frame and also what is your risk tolerance now risk tolerance a lot of people only think about well what i can handle maybe emotionally well it's partly that but it's also capacity in other words what's the time frame in which those funds are going to be invested there's always going to be opportunities but the last thing in the world you want to be able to do and i know we're going to talk a little bit about this is 
pull money out at the wrong time, mm-hmm. right? You know, we've had such a... How do you know a, when the wrong time is? Hopefully, you're not doing it after the market has come down, right? Right, right. And so, again, flexibility is the key. Strategy, allocation, being able to be diversified well. During this period of time, we finally are seeing where it's important to have commodities, and it's been years mm-hmm. where that hasn't really worked. Yeah, you haven't even heard that word. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. And so, it's so important to be able to say, again, to have that long-term plan. Obviously, you know, if somebody's comfortable, they can do some individual equities. But for most people, it's probably going to be mutual funds or index funds. And it's just more about being strategic with those funds and making sure that you invest it in a way in which when you pull those funds out, you're again, you're giving yourself the flexibility of not having to take it out at the wrong time. The other thing that's becoming more popular too, especially with inherited funds, is investing it alongside your values. So you really get to know your clients so you could really be an advisor. It's it's one of the great things uh, that I've really been enjoying about my industry is I have access to so many different tools now that we just never did. And I think what happened in the old, olden days, we used to almost only do individual equities and occasionally a mutual fund. In, In the recent days, it's been a lot of ETFs. But I think that there's something that happens sometimes when you do that. You get disconnected almost from your investments. And there's a number of people that would like to better understand what they're investing in. But it is, it's especially usually around inherited funds because there's a there's a there's a connection. Right. Yeah, there's a connection to it. I know I had to dip in a couple times and you do. You get that sense of you want to do right by what you use it for. So very true. Absolutely. So we have a lot of small business owners that are part of Displains Chamber, and some of them are buying new businesses, and some of them are passing their businesses on to their children or other members of the family. What are some of the things a small business owner, how, what do they need to plan for? You know, what is interesting is is that there's about 30 million small businesses in the United States. And it's anticipated that maybe as much as a third of those will transition and change hands over the next 10 to 15 years. So thinking things through from a business perspective, even if you're just getting started as a business, one of the things you want to put into place as best you can are good procedures so that it's not going to be overly dependent upon you. And so, you know, so when you pass it on, it doesn't Laird, yeah. Laird's a family business owner here, too. So, okay. It's important. And again, like the college funding, communication is key here, right? Especially if you want family involved and or employees involved. Again, setting expectations well. But one of the most difficult parts for a business owner, honestly, is to develop that business being independent of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so one of they did actually, I'm one of the designations I was able to get as an exit planning advisor. And one of the things I learned in the curriculum is, is they did a survey of business owners after a year after they've sold their business and asked if, you know, how's things going, thinking that, oh, they're going to be love and life, right? 
many of them, you know, the majority even were unhappy in retirement because they had they got their fulfillment from their business, they got mm-hmm. their relationships from their so business. True. So it's also important to plan on a personal basis. Now, on the financial side, you know, obviously, too, you need to plan around the idea that you may get a a boatload of money right at the beginning, and you may have some tax things. So there's some tax strategies too. Won't get into that today, but there's a number of factors that you need to get involved. But a big thing is just thinking about whether you pass the business on or just build a good, solid business. There's the same principles, you know, getting your employees in a place of where they're confident, Mm -hmm. because the more confident your employees are in their jobs and more excited about their jobs, that's money they're going to make. Yeah, more money they're going to make. It's going to make it more fun for you. The other thing that I found out through this curriculum was many business owners were nearing burnout and said, I got to get rid of my business and worked with an exit planner, a coach and things like that. And sure enough, after a couple of years, they decided, oh, I like my business again, because mm-hmm. it's they built a business that has less dependence upon them, which is the stressful part, right? I mean, there's parts of our businesses we love, we enjoy mm-hmm. to do. You know, I love working with my clients, and I love to do my research. There's other things that are less fun, right? And all business owners have to deal through that process, but it's important to think it through. Just a quick little example is just putting procedures into place, a standardization of those. Now, in the old days, I used to think of just a big old black binder, and it was dusty, and it had Mm -hmm. this all of these procedures. Nobody paid attention to it, right? Well, instead, maybe put that online and put that in a way, use videos, use videos to help people to see, hey, this is how you do this. And you can put some fun stuff into that. You can put some great suggestion. It it really helps them. The other part is, is let's face it, I'm a baby boomer. And I didn't grow up with technology. But many of the people that are working today and that potential business buyer has been with technology pretty much most of their life. And so they're going to connect with that better. And the more that you can use technology, the more that you can use present day things, it's just going to make it better for everybody. Yeah, we could all use that and that practice in everything that we do for sure. So there's a lot of things going on in the world right now, as we all know, between COVID, in light of inflation continuing to rise, the Russia-Ukraine conflict that affect our investments. Any advice? Because we know some of these problems might go ebb and flow, but they're here. You know, it's a different paradigm. I was involved in the financial services in the 80s and 90s, the last time we had just some crazy inflation. Now, I don't anticipate that to occur again, but for many people, maybe even most of the people that have been investing have mainly learned their investing over the last 10, 15 years because the market has been so strong, especially since the financial crisis, and it's just really moved up. And it's been during a period of time of little to no inflation, generally. We've had spikes here and there, but nothing to this degree. And so, number one, it's important, again, kind of what we touched on earlier, is to have things in your portfolio that can adjust well to current or rising inflation. But it's interesting because a lot of those things don't have staying power. And what I mean by that is, is that commodities are great when inflation moves up kind of significantly and unexpectedly. But 
they can do almost nothing for many years. And the reason for that, and this is kind of helpful to understand about inflation, that one of the things that is a solution to inflation is high prices. And you say, well, the reason for that is, is as prices stay high and keep going higher, demand eventually says... Mm-mm. I just can't afford it anymore, right? And so it's somewhat similar with commodities. Commodities are part of the problem, right, with inflation. But today, obviously, you know, and our prayers go out to the people in the Ukraine, right? And what is how this can affect Americans is, other than our heart and soul, really is in the energy side. The two economies of Russia and Ukraine are really very small on that scale, but one of the other aspects of that can really help a portfolio is having that energy component. Mm-hmm. We've gone through a period of time in which there's been sort of underproduction after we got to the level of energy dependence. Now we're starting to ramp back up again. But again, I think higher prices are going to stick with us for a while. I do think that the backlog of the supply issues that we've been having is being addressed, and I think inflation will slow down. But Wages aren't going to come crashing down, and oil prices, they will once we get production up. But there's just a number of things that but once those right prices, yeah. it's just not yeah. going to just all of yeah. a sudden tomorrow go back down. So with inflation rising, obviously home prices have been rising, but obviously interest rates have been low, but now it's all starting to reverse. What do you recommend to a first-time home buyer or even somebody that is looking to sell their house? Yeah, again, it feels a little bit like the aughts, right? The 02 to 07 house price where they were just going up very high and very fast. But it is different. And the reason it's different is that was more of a speculative opportunity for people that they were taking advantage of. House flipping, you know, as they say, buying it, throwing a coat of paint on it and selling it for a lot more a year later. It's more the fact that there is obviously supply issues. We've had to go through this. COVID has certainly dampened that. But there's also a worker shortage and maybe a willingness shortage of builders because they've been through this and they're being careful. They're growing, they're they're adding, but it's speculated to be that we have millions of homes that we actually need over the next few years that we just probably won't get. So I say that as a backdrop, somebody's looking to buy a home, especially for the first time. I don't anticipate, and of course, nobody knows this for certain, but it doesn't appear housing prices are just going to simply drop. Initially, we kind of thought, hey, we get through this inflation hit, maybe things will come back to normal, so to speak. But the part that I think a lot of people just don't understand is that we've had an undersupply for a long time, and that's just not going to go away. So it's important to think, like all financial decisions, how long am I going to have this? Because anything can happen short term. I do remember the aughts and somebody buying a condo in the city of Chicago and being stuck there because they just couldn't sell the home three years later. Mm -hmm. And so it is important to think long term. But yeah, affordability isn't going to be as good as it once was. But when you compare it to rents, it can still be potentially a good fit because homes over time, like equities, and I forgot to mention that, equities do a great job of keeping up with inflation and housing, assuming we 
don't go through the crisis type of thing that we had in the financial side before does a good job of that as well. So our parents that have owned that house for 50 years that are looking to downsize their, at least right now, could do quite well. Yeah. But they still have to find a place to live. So. See, and that's the other right, thing. Right. And and what is going to be interesting is is the demand. I told people that when I bought my house, I bought a ranch home. And, and so I could be the beneficiary of somebody downsizing because it's just a ranch or the beneficiary of that starter home. So there's going to be certain types of homes and potentially condos and townhomes. And that's what I was wondering too. So let's say somebody has some extra money and there is a building that has several apartments for rent. Is that a good investment right now? It can be. And and again, it's just But it depends simply, when, yeah, and I know you can't predict this. But. Right. But the thing I really like right now is the demographics. Mm-hmm. And so for many years, it seemed like people weren't as interested in owning property. But the younger generations are finally, I think, starting to be a player in that market. So it can be. Obviously, all the time you got to think about location. You got to think about what your limits are. Can you handle somebody not paying you rent? You know, mm-hmm. uh, all of those factors, just like any investment. So, I'm going to ask a random question to make it the six points about their finances. What I've heard, and since we're talking about home buying and keeping and selling or whatever, I heard a lot of younger generations today are using Bitcoin and they've been investing in that. And they think that the money that they've earned in Bitcoin that they could use towards down payments for homes and it doesn't equate the same. So do you have any insight on that? I can say a few things about the crypto. First of all, there are just wide opinions, wide divergent Mm -hmm. opinions of of crypto. There are the, quote, old liners who say it's going to be worthless someday. But I'm in the camp that this is what kind of the newer generation. It's what they're doing. It's what they're doing. And we have to, we, baby boomers, have to understand that we won't continue to be the biggest determinant of what works and what doesn't. There's some valid reasons why a cryptocurrency can work. We're already obviously seeing it. Companies are taking it and accepting it as currency. The interesting thing will be the transition of when it is used more as currency. Right now, it's more as an asset for appreciation. And so there's a lot of things that have to be determined, including what the government does or doesn't do around the regulation of it. Mm -hmm. But it is a very interesting asset in that we've been doing a lot of money printing, right, in the Fed and countries all around the world. And this is that younger person's version of saying, hey, I don't trust that institution as much as I might trust this. So be careful, but the potential could be there. Well, this is such great advice. And we could talk for days on each of these topics, which we hope to in the future, maybe just get more information on each one. So if I'm a first-time investor or if I'm looking to change over my business and wanting to plan, how could somebody get in touch with you? Because you are just filled with such incredible knowledge. And I'm sure everyone is wondering that. Thank you, Andrea. That's very kind. They can reach me at my office, 773 473-4. 
866-2610. It's been a pleasure being part of the chamber. And one of the things that I think maybe people are less aware, a lot of times you think, oh, I'm going to be part of the Chamber of Commerce and I'm going to network and I'm going to do all of those things. Get to know the people and get to know their businesses. And I love the events where I just simply ask questions. I have no idea if there's going to be a fit or not, but the people are great. And obviously you and your staff do a phenomenal job too, as far as making it always professional and fun at the same time. So Well, I appreciate that, and the feeling is mutual, and we enjoy working with you and certainly having our members learn from you. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. My pleasure. 